So probably a simple show of hands will do. All right, every Sunday we have to have that. I uh, couldn't uh, keep it uh, from singing. What was the name of it? Couldn't keep it to myself. That's good. Great. Good. If you go ahead and get your outline, <clears throat> we are in a series on values that build lasting success. And today, we're going to be talking about fairness. And as I thought about fairness, it occurred to me, most of us already know what fairness is. Fairness is something that most of us were taught as children at home, in preschool, kindergarten, Sunday morning, Bible class, children's church. And so we don't need to discuss what fairness is. Fairness is treating everybody by the same principles. As adults, the real issue for us that we need to deal with is why. Why should I be willing to be fair when everybody around me is just watching out for themselves? Well, the Bible is very clear in teaching that life is unfair. If the Bible says anything that's clear, it's life is unfair. And the best place to study the subject of fairness versus unfairness is in the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written by King Solomon about a thousand years before Christ. And he was wise enough and rich enough and powerful enough and had enough resources and time available to him that all he did was just study life. And he wrote his observations down in this book. And in it, he gives us five snapshots that show unfairness in the world. And so we're going to talk about three things today. First of all, we're going to take a look at some areas where life is unfair. And then number two, we're going to ask the question, why does God allow unfairness and injustice in the world? And then in the last part, we're going to talk about our response to it. How should I personally respond to unfairness and injustice, not only in the world, but in my personal life? So the first snapshot of unfairness is this. Solomon says, criminals go unpunished. Oftentimes, criminals go unpunished. In Ecclesiastes 3.16, it says, I also noticed that throughout the world there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, nothing has changed in 3,000 years. Oftentimes people get off and criminals don't get what they really deserve. Ecclesiastes 8.11, it says this, When a crime is not punished, people feel it is safe to do wrong. I don't know how this could be any more relevant than it is in today's world. By just looking at what is happening in the world and in our culture, you can figure out three or four things. Number one, if you commit a crime, it does not necessarily mean you're going to jail. 
It depends on certain things. Number one, how much money you have. And number two, if you are smart, or if you're smart enough, if you can hire a smart enough lawyer to get you off on a technicality. Number two, trials are often delayed. Sometimes for months, sometimes for years. And when a case finally goes to trial, witnesses have died, people have recanted their testimony, people are not available. Three, you can write a book or you can sell the rights to a book if you've committed an especially heinous crime and make money off of it. Number four, if you do get convicted, you're probably not going to serve a full sentence because our prison system is full of inmates. And so Solomon sees all of this going on around him while victims and victims' families continue to suffer. And he says, that isn't fair. Second snapshot of unfairness in the world is the oppressed are often unhelped. The oppressed are often unhelped. This is Ecclesiastes 4.1. Then I looked again at all of the injustice that goes on in this world. The oppressed were crying and no one would help them. No one would help them because their oppressors had power on their side. This passage is really just a summary of history. History is basically about people trying to dominate other people. Rich people tried to dominate poor people. Stronger countries tried to dominate weaker countries. Men tried to dominate women. Sometimes we do if they allow us to. Non-believers try to dominate believers. I read in a Christian publication that said around the world, close to a million believers, believers in Jesus, are martyred every year in places like China and North Korea, Indonesia, other places, but most of it never ends up in the mainstream press. Solomon says nobody's helping these people and that's not fair. Third snapshot of unfairness. Politicians are unethical. No! No! Do I... Point four. No, leave it, leave it there. Do I even need to illustrate this point? There's cover-ups and scandals going on. In Ecclesiastes 5.8 it says, If you see miscarriage of justice anywhere throughout the land, hey, don't be surprised, for every official is under orders from higher up. And the higher officials look up to their superiors. And so the matter is lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Okay, how about this one? This is Ecclesiastes 10 in the Good News Version. Here is an injustice I have seen in the world. Stupid people are given positions of authority. I look at, at 
politics and politicians and I ask myself, is this, is this the best we can do? Is this all we have? Surely there must be more choices out there than this. You see, it is not always the brightest, smartest, godliest person who gets elected. And Solomon says, it is not fair when ungodly people get put into places of authority and abuse their authority. So politicians are unethical. The fourth snapshot of unfairness that he saw in the world is good people often go unrewarded. I'm talking about good people, like you and me. We're good people, right? We, we don't commit big sins, maybe some small ones every now and then. We're, we're, we're the good people. This is Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 8.14. There is something being done on earth that is pointless. Righteous people suffer for what the wicked do. And wicked people get what the righteous deserve. I say that even this is pointless. He's asking the age-old question, why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? Well, that's not the way that it always is, but that is our perception. Our perception is that it seems like anyway Good things always happen to bad people and bad things always happen to good people. It's the dishonest person who gets promoted. It's the unscrupulous company that succeeds. It's the drug lord who's living in luxury in some beautiful house that he paid for with a suitcase full of cash. While you're barely making mortgage payments every month. Ecclesiastes 7.15 I have seen everything, including the fact that some good people die young. And some wicked people live on and on. Have you ever been to the funeral of a, of a young person? And you looked in the casket and you saw the body lying there and, and you're asking yourself, why? Why this person? I could think of a lot of other people I'd rather see. I could get a whole list of people that I'd prefer seeing. Why this good person, young, strong, bright? Why does that happen? That's not fair. Good people go unrewarded. The fifth snapshot of unfairness. Capable people are often unsuccessful. Capable people are often unsuccessful. Just because you have talent does not automatically guarantee that you're going to succeed. I'm going to let you in on something. The good guys don't always win in this world. That's disappointing. Because most of us who are over Oh, 45, and if you're under 45, maybe you've seen the reruns. I grew up on John Wayne and Clint Eastwood. The Duke's gonna get him. Right at the beginning of the movie, you know, 
John Wayne's gonna win. There's gonna be bad stuff going on through the movie. Yes, but in the end, got it. And it's a clear distinction. Right wins over evil. And Clint Eastwood did the same thing, it's just he shot more people. And was a little kind of a badder dude himself, you know. And that's how I want life to be. And I, I just like the Lord, you know, maybe like this Friday, just like write a whole bunch of injustices in the world and make a whole bunch of wrongs, right? Just so we can kind of know the Lord's just working down here and doing some things and we can see it directly. This is an incredible passage in Ecclesiastes 9. This is the good news version. I realized another thing. That in this world, fast runners do not always win the races. And the brave do not always win the battles. The wise do not always earn a living. Intelligent people do not always get rich. Because we'd all be rich then, right? And capable people do not always rise to high positions. Bad luck happens to everyone. Take a look at that phrase. Fast runners don't always win the race. I'm sure that's being used in a metaphoric, metaphorical sense. But it is literally true. You can be rated as the number one fastest man or woman in the world and train years for the Olympics. And, and three days before the race, you injure your foot or you come down with the swine flu or something like that. The, the race does not always go to the fastest person. Intelligent people don't always get rich. How relevant is this? We all know of people who are smart and intelligent and educated and they're barely making a living while some bum over here who could care less about anything inherits the family fortune. How fair is that? We pay the guys who shoot balls through a hoop real well a hundred times more than our teachers who train our children. Capable men don't always rise to high positions. And you know what? Neither do capable women. There can be a woman who is bright, smart, educated, creative, intelligent, and she rises this high and hits the glass wall and it gets shut down. Solomon says, I've seen that going on in the world and it's not fair. So, that brings us to the age-old question. Why does God allow injustice? Why doesn't he do something about it? I know he's going to do something about it in the end, but I'm one of those people who would like to see something done about it like uh, by 2 o'clock this afternoon, which would not be too soon. I'm going to give you some suggestions. I don't know that these are really going to answer the question, but these will give us, these will be some things that we can think about. Number one. He has given us the freedom of choice. That's what we know. We're here. We are people who have free will. We have the ability to choose. So he gives us the freedom of choice. It's 
within the nation of Israel, he said, Today I am giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. He said to the nation, it is up to you. If you want me to bless you or curse you, it's going to be conditional on what you choose to do. So God gives us the ability to make choices. And sometimes people make some very, very bad choices. If I choose to go to a bar and drink alcohol and become drunk, and get behind the wheel of my car and kill a person, that is not God's fault. That is my fault. God did not force the alcohol down my throat. I chose to do it. And so sometimes bad things happen to people because people make bad choices. Well, I know you still have the question, Why doesn't he just make it all right? But we'll talk about that in a minute. Number three. It's because he's going to settle accounts one day. He allows unfairness because he's going to settle accounts one day. This is Ecclesiastes 3.17. I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everything man does, both good and bad. Would you circle in due season? I think it's underlined. Circle it. What this means is the final chapter hasn't been written. God hasn't balanced the book yet. And so one day, all people are going to give an account of their lives to God. And all justice at that time will be meted out with fairness and severity. So why doesn't God do something about it right now? It's terrible to see injustice in your own life and and in the world. So why not right now take care of it all? That's the next point. Because it shows we need a Savior. Now this, I think, is the most significant. It shows we need a Savior. God does not right every wrong, and He could just snap His finger or wink His eye, and every wrong could be right. But He doesn't do it because He doesn't want your heart to become too attached to earth. When we see all of the unfairness and injustice in the world and in our lives, it makes us think that there must be something better than this life that we need to work toward. And so if everything was absolutely perfect, you wouldn't want to leave. God wants us to realize that earth is only our temporary dwelling place. And so that's why the... Bible refers to us as pilgrims and and wanderers and people who don't have a permanent home. He doesn't want us to get too used to her. This is Ecclesiastes 3.18. God is letting the world go on its sinful way so that He can test mankind. 
And so that men themselves will see that they are no better than beasts. When we hear all of the shocking stories of rape and abuse and violence and murder, like the young lady murdered, was it in Virginia? Apparently on her wedding day. A couple of years ago, the 30 or more people were gunned down at Virginia Tech. When we see all of these terrible things in our world, it reminds us that many people are no better than beasts. One day, God is going to have a judgment day and He's going to settle the score, balance the books, and make everything equal. But before that happens, you need a Savior in your life, and I do too, because the truth is, we've all done things that we should not have done. We have all hurt other people intentionally and unintentionally. And so when you and I one day stand before the Lord, we are not going to want God's justice we're going to want His mercy. And if we choose to have Jesus Christ in our lives, if you've been baptized, then the Lord is going to stand by your side and you and I are not going to get what we deserve. He's going to judge us based on what the Lord has done and the, our acceptance of the Lord into our lives. And then number four, it's because it can build character. He allows injustice because it has the ability to build character. It says this in Romans 5, 4. Suffering produces character. And as you know, character is never built when things are easy, but when things are tough. And suffering does not automatically produce character. It's only when you choose to respond to it in the right way. Because there are lots of people who have suffered greatly and have no character at all. The bottom line is this. You either get better or bitter because of suffering you have gone through some unfair experiences in your life. Maybe a spouse who walked out on you, an illness that you did not ask for, a business partner who stole you blind, a loved one who died when you really needed them, a parent who mistreated you, we all have our own personal stories of injustice and unfairness. So, so how should I respond to it? God wants us to do three things. Three ways to respond to unfairness and injustice in your life. Number one is accept it gracefully. Accept it gracefully. Now I'm going to read, I'm going to read 1 Peter 4 to explain that. Peter is writing to people who 
were living in what is now the modern-day country of Turkey. Back in the first century, Turkey had many, many thousands of New Testament Christians. These were Jewish Christians that he was writing to. And many of them were going to be suffering some form of persecution under the Roman government in that area of the Roman Empire. So he says to them, My friends, do not be surprised at the terrible trouble which now comes to test you. Do you think that something strange is happening to you? But be happy that you are sharing in Christ's suffering so that you will be happy and have full joy when Christ comes again in glory. He's saying, you cannot prevent people from hurting you, but you can use it as an opportunity to develop character. So accept it gracefully. Two, respond lovingly. As difficult as it is, you have to choose to take the higher moral road. And this is under no circumstances is this easy. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. One of the great American scientists was a fellow by the name of Booker T. Washington of Tuskegee University near Montgomery. And this is the quote that he is most famous for. And you have to really appreciate it in the context of the early 1900s and a lot of the discrimination that was going on at that time. He said, I will never allow another man to control my life by allowing him to make me hate him. Never allow someone else to control your emotions by making you hate them. Now when I say respond lovingly, I do not mean that you continue to allow injustice or that you become indifferent or passive to injustice. You lovingly seek justice without retaliating without taking revenge, and without hurting people. Now, under most circumstances, and I'm not talking about something unusual like somebody breaking into your house and you're defending yourself or something like that. Under most circumstances, if somebody has done something wrong to you, you don't have the right to go grab them by the throat and start choking the person to death. You can respond lovingly by filing a lawsuit and taking the person to a court of law. We have a system of justice in America where justice and fairness is meted out in a way that meets with our legal traditions. Do not take it upon yourself to take revenge. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jeremiah 22.3 The Lord says, Be fair-minded. Do what is right. Help those in need of justice. Proverbs 16.11 The Lord demands fairness in every business deal. He established this principle. He's saying, 
even when everybody else around you is unfair, you respond by, by being fair. You respond in a loving kind of way. So respond loving. And then the third thing is wait for God's help expected. Wait for God's help expected. Expectantly means you, you believe it's really going to happen. I couldn't put all of that in one point. Wait for God's help believing it's going to come. Wait for God's help expected. Now here's the passage. 1 Peter 2.9, New Century. A person might have to suffer even when it is unfair. But if he thinks of God and stands the pain, God is pleased. All through the Bible, God has a very special heart for people who are treated unfairly. And He wants to know that He hears your cries and He sees your pain. Life is kind of like the old days of photography. That is back when people used to use film. I guess do some people still use film. Donnie, do you use film in your camera? It's digital. That camera you use is digital? Okay, then then the, 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 the film, I guess, is going out. But anyway, do you remember when you used to take a picture and you had the film? And what was it called? The negative. The negative. What, do, you know, do you have the negative? No, I don't know where the negatives are. That's what we used to say back in like the 1970s, 1980s. And so you, these negatives are taken and they go through a, a process and the negatives turn into a positive. You have all been dealt negatives in life. But when you shine the light of God's love through your circumstances, you begin to see the positives that God is doing in your life and in the lives of others. So what does God want me to do while I'm waiting on Him to settle the score? And I'm not a very patient person. I've been waiting for 50, none of your business, odd years. Is how long I've been waiting for Him to do some justice. This is 1 Peter 4.19. If you are suffering according to God's will, and by the way, not all suffering is according to God's will, right? If I go down and, and, and do drugs, and I go out and do something real stupid and get beat up, I got beat up because I was a fool. That's why I got beat up. Doing drugs, that's right. So not all suffering is necessarily God's will. But if you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to the God who made you and He will never fail you. So he says when you're suffering, number one, you need to keep on doing what is right. Number two, you need to trust yourself to God who made you. And three, you need to have the faith that He is not going to fail you. We are not always going to get an explanation to all of the things that have happened to us in life that we feel are unfair, at least not here on earth. The truth is, God does not owe anybody an explanation. Now here's the good news. You don't need an explanation to get on with life. 
We just need to know, number one, that God loves me. Number two, that he has my best interest at heart. And number three, he's going to settle the score one day. And so if you will trust him and have the right attitude, you are going to be rewarded. Look at the last part of that passage. For he will never fail. That's the thought that I want to leave us with. We need to keep doing what is right. We need to keep trusting in God who made us. And we need to keep believing and having the faith that in the end, all things will work out. You bow with me. I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer. Father, I know that you are a God of justice and mercy. I know that in my heart, I may not always live like you are, but I do, I do know that. I am thankful that you are ultimately in control of this world and in control of my own personal destiny. I do thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. You know that there are things that have happened to me that I resent, that I have questioned, continue to question, and that I continue to complain about. So I'm just going to have to ask you to forgive me for seeming, seems like always complaining. I know that you can use my problems to build my character, and so I'm asking you just to help me to start responding in the right way, start responding by some of these points that we've talked about today. When I'm treated unfairly or I'm going through some kind of an experience that it doesn't feel quite right, would you help me to maybe accept it gracefully and help me not to become bitter, but better? Would you help me to be fair-minded, regardless of what anybody else is doing? And would you help me to have an attitude of faith where I can wait for things expectantly? realizing that there is going to be a reward that I'm going to be able to enjoy in heaven. I thank you so much for being my Lord and my Father and my Savior and for your spirit dwelling in me. I thank you for the Port City Church, for their honesty, openness, and love. And Father, I pray for the healing of everyone in this room today. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. If you have a particular need, if we can pray for you or assist you in some way, please let us know what your need is while we stand and sing.